This is a short story about a turncoat monk and two tons of documentation. It is 1651. Charles II is king. Well, at least he is here. Monk sighs as he looks across the kirkyard at the castle. Not too long ago, he had supported Charles' father at the beginning of the English Civil War. And now, here he is, surrounded by artillery and parliamentary soldiers. Something doesn't sit right with him about putting cannon on consecrated ground. But alas, he doesn't feel like there's much choice. And it's not like he's an actual monk. He's Lord George Monk. And he's Oliver Cromwell's mopper-upper-in-chief following the Parliamentary Army's invasion of Scotland. The New Model Army marched north of the border a year ago with a force of professional soldiers. They were well-trained, they were well-provisioned, and they were quite willing to kill the Scots who had crowned Charles II. To be honest, they were quite happy to kill any Scots, their exact allegiance wasn't all that important to them. Monk, the former royalist and Lord Deputy of Ireland, isn't trusted by his parliamentary comrades, but he'll go on to show his loyalty by putting Dundee to the torch. He'll later admit to killing 500 Scots in the storming of the city, but our modern estimates put that number at closer to 1,000. Today, he's in charge of the besieging force based in the kirkyard of the Church of the Holy Rood in Stirling. The cannons have been bombarding the castle for three days. It is about to fall. This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. The fall of Stirling Castle was pretty much inevitable. The Scottish forces loyal to King Charles II were poorly trained and were unable to match the new model army despite employing a scorched earth policy that left Cromwell's forces with supply chain problems. Despite this, they had battered the Scots pretty much everywhere they met, and did for them decisively at Inverkeething. That left Monk with the job of mopping up the rest of the resistance. And he's enjoying it. He's not exactly what you would call a stand-up guy. And sure, Stirling Castle itself is a hell of a prize. They've been bombarding it solidly for three days. In fact, if you happen to be listening to this episode at Stirling Castle, you could pop round to the guard tower and look at the walls. You'll be able to see cannonball holes. But Stirling Castle itself is not exactly what Monk is after. There's something that he wanted to be able to send to his paymasters in London. You know, just to make sure that they knew he was on their side. Up until the capital fell to that pesky new model army, the records of Scotland were kept in a special register house in Edinburgh Castle. These records, which include legal documents and the papers of state which date back to the time of Robert the Bruce and David II, had to be moved somewhere to avoid them falling into English hands. So they moved them to Stirling Castle. Whoops. General Monk takes Stirling Castle and with it the National Records of Scotland. Oliver Cromwell has demanded that they be sent to London. Whether he wants the records of his entire Commonwealth to be held in the same place, or whether he wants them as spoils of war, is up for debate. After all, 
they wouldn't be the first thing taken from Scotland by a ruler who wanted to consolidate their power. And for the next nine years, anyone wanting to raise a legal case in Scotland found things incredibly difficult, what with all of the records being kept in the Tower of London. So just before his death, Cromwell allowed some of the records to be returned north. He didn't really have any room for them anyway, but he decided to keep half of them. You know, for the power. Cromwell died aged 59 of sepsis. He had carried malaria for years and it's thought that he might well have refused to take the only known cure, quinine, because it had been discovered by Catholic missionaries. Oliver Cromwell was the most powerful man in the country, and so it was only natural that his son took over as Lord Protector. After all, there were no monarchic vibes here at all. Richard Cromwell became the head of state of the Protectorate, the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland. And he basically had no authority. A dynasty breaks at its weakest link. Richard Cromwell's weakness was his desire to play peacemaker between the incredibly powerful army and general society. He allowed a parliament to be formed that was filled with royalists and disaffected Presbyterians. Not the ideal kind of parliament for a country that has just given up on the monarchy and anything that wasn't Puritan. Richard lasted nine months before he was forced to renounce his power. To secure his resignation, Regiments of the new model army had marched on London and reinstated the Long Parliament, which had been dissolved 12 years earlier. This allowed the reinstatement of the monarchy under King Charles II. And who led the new model army on its march to London? Why, that was General George Monk, the man who had used that same army to smash royalist forces in Scotland and Ireland for years had now turned it back on its Commonwealth leaders. So I guess it turns out that everybody was right to be suspicious of him. Upon the restoration of the monarchy and the installation of Charles II, it was decided that the rest of Scotland's records were to be returned to Edinburgh Castle. And so, in December 1660, they were loaded aboard a frigate inside 85 hogsheads. Hogsheads are a sort of mid-sized barrel, by the way, just in case you're not up on your 17th century cargo lingo. The frigate, which was called the Eagle, was supposed to deliver the barrels, but, for some reason, they were taken from that ship and loaded onto a decrepit merchant vessel called Elizabeth of Burnt Island. And I'm no sailor, but when I say the Elizabeth was decrepit, I mean that it did one of the things that I'm almost certain a ship shouldn't do. It leaked. Like, a lot. And en route to Edinburgh, overweight and late, Elizabeth of Burnt Island started to take on water at 8am on Sunday 18th of December 1661. According to John Masterson, the ship's mate, they spent until 3am on the next Tuesday trying to bail it out until it sank, taking tons of Scottish records to the seafloor with it. And to this day, nobody has ever found it, meaning that all of the records remaining aboard the Elizabeth, were lost forever. Unless you can find it. You've been listening to Scotland. This episode was written and produced by me, Michael Park, 
and is a production of Be Quiet Media. The music for every episode of Scotland is written by Mitch Bain. You can find out more about the show on our website, scotlandpodcast.net, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and reluctantly TikTok too. You can find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Look out for one another. We'll see you next time.